Blog Talk Radio. on the topics that we talk about, and I'm one of the best minds there is in uh, competitive tennis. I think now with the subject that I'm going to talk about today, we talk a lot about um, what's wrong, what's right, but he said it's real simple, Coach Randy did. He goes, hey, he said, Coach, it's it's real simple. He says, you've got to understand there's two determinations. There's a big split with our tennis here in the U.S. and the way that we're going about things. It says most of the things that our organization, the USTA, does, and even what colleges are doing a lot is basically rec tennis. They're they're promoting rec tennis. And I will ask him, you know, hey, Coach, what's going on with, you know, the the, the deal on the no-ad scoring, the abbreviations, the – 10-point tiebreakers, stopping matches in college. We're going to go into that here for, you know, in a second. It's going to be a very, very short program today. We're only going to go about 30 minutes, but we're going to talk about this. But Coach Randy brought up a great, great point. He said, look, if you have a rec tennis model and you try to use it for competitive tennis, it's going to dumb everything down. And uh, I, that's exactly right. As you know, if you go back at most of my programs over the last year, actually over the last five years, six years, seven years, because I've been battling this thing a long time, absolutely you're going to say, well, 
you know, what we're describing is hard work, you know, perseverance, diligence, and all those things that tennis teaches. But right now, I've been battling, or you'd say this guy's battling against shortcuts, and you bet I am. I'm betting against shortcuts and the dumbing down of of what tennis really teaches. And as an educator, educator first, an entertainer, maybe 38th, you know, I couldn't give a give a flying jump about the uh, – it's, it's good. Sports are good entertainment, and I like to be entertained by them. But as an educator, I carry very, care very much more about the product over the process. Excuse me. I got it backwards. I got me trained the wrong way. The process of how things are done over the product and the end results. I want the the real end result comes from doing the right thing over and over and over and over again, and you have to fail, you have to fail, you have to fail, and then sooner or later, you're the last person standing that's that's uh, fighting the good fight, or or you you break through, or you you learn a heck of a lot from from being process oriented or deferred gratification uh, oriented. So that our program is going to be about that today. We're only going to be on. A short time, but I, I wanted to make sure that I sort of set the table that and talk about Coach Randy Blumendahl because uh, I call him just for his – he's got a very, very good mind, and he sees things and is able to put put them together in a way that uh, it, it makes sense the first time. And uh, if you've been with me and listened to me a lot, I put my ideas out there and uh, I usually have, I will pick out the right, the right formation and the right things, and they're always going to be deferred gratification over immediate gratification, and I'm always going to promote hard work over easy, easy things in life because that's the real teaching. But that the base of why I do that is being a teacher first, you know, a teacher, and then a coach second, probably a tennis person third. But I love this sport of tennis because. It does all of them. But this is American Tennis, Coach Chuck Creasy. And every Wednesday, we're going to be trying to come uh, on at about noontime and just talk about different things. And I've got some guests line up, lined up for the coming weeks, and we're going to try to really uh, do our best to, uh, you know, try to tackle this thing head on. And it, it's really a basic – okay, first of all, I wanted to – I always have started programs to say that your job as an American, and as if you're an American tennis fan or follower, is to understand that we have a duty to promote truth, justice, the American way. But with tennis, we need to promote this learning tool, and we've got to do it in a way that promotes much more depth than just the surface value that most people talk about. And um, your job, our job is to speak up and stand up, say what needs to be said. And the parameters always, I say, never address people, address issues, stay professional, address issues, not people. You can say pretty much anything you want to say. People can disagree with you, but, you know, try not to cross those lines uh, I will talk about the USTA and the fact that I think they're making a big mistake on the way that they promote. They, they the marketeers are promoting instead of instead of the real educators, instead of the coaches, instead of the senior uh, senior 
generals and things that have been in the field battling all these years. They use marketeers and business people, and I'm not running down business people. We need them, but they sure shouldn't be running things. And holy guacamole, they look like they're doing it in all the sports. And again, I always quote that said, all that it takes for evil to prosper is for good men to do nothing or good people to do nothing. Men, women, it's all that it takes for evil to prosper is for us to sit back and uh, just uh, say, hey, hope hope things work better. So American Tennis and just tune in on uh, the Yellow Ball Network and, uh, of course, Blog Talk Radio. Each week, I know some of you automatically get this download. I don't put it out there on Facebook and all that stuff right now. Uh, but if I get Coach Randy on there, uh, he'll make he'll make the show a bit better, and we'll, we'll try to do that. So let's let's get down to work here. We have a, a short program today, and I want to try to tackle, you know, what we're talking about. So basically, what's wrong with hard work? What is wrong with hard work? You know, hard work and perseverance have always, perseverance, they've always been a staple of American society. You know, when I first got into sports, my father used to say, son, if you want to be successful, you just got to get to know Percy. You know, I'd say, Percy, Percy who? And the corniest thing ever, my dad had corny jokes, he said, perseverance. He said, you hang in there, you you never quit. You learn how to suffer through the bad times and then enjoy to relish and love the good times. And uh, basically, that was the crux of my father's coaching. And other than just the kind of man he was and the integrity and hard work that he lived by. But hard work and perseverance have always been a staple. Now, why is it that we are promoting shortcuts in immediate gratification over the tried-and-true methods that are part of our American ancestry? I mean, our, our, our whole ancestry has been built on hard work. But now we're taking shortcuts. Now we're dumbing down. Our youth... Our youth tennis and our high school tennis and our college tennis events are all now being dumbed down to very simplistic, simplistic uh, so-called events that are that, that really doing more harm than good. And uh, I don't want to talk about the amount of money that it costs. I don't care whether you're taking a team to play somewhere or it's a tournament that you're taking your youngsters to or you're traveling but you have to travel to play in tennis. So once you do the hotel rooms, the training, not to talk about the coaching and equipment and everything that's invested, the the meal, everything that is invested, really you go out and it rains a little bit and the tournament director says, well, we're going to do four-game sets. Oh, by the way, no ad sets. And, well, why don't they just flip a coin? You know, put put everybody on a... uh, dog on zoom call and flip coins to see who wins the tournament because pretty much you're promoting randomness the shorter that you make tennis the more random the results will be the shorter you make any sporting events the random the more random the results will be and it matters a lot when our kids invest a lot and work hard for something and then they randomize the results. How would it be in a classroom if you're taking one of the toughest classes into college or into high school? Now, tennis, I believe, is the hardest sport. 
I love it because it is one of the hardest. It's like playing the violin. It's not like playing the daggone, you know, uh, some of the other instruments. I'm not going to run anything down, but it's the hardest of all sports. So how would it be if you're taking the hardest classes or the hardest subjects in college, and then they say, oh, well, all of a sudden, no, no, well, you know, I know that you were a straight-A student and you worked really, really hard for that, but we've decided to give everybody Bs in the class. Actually, I had a math class. I was a supposed to be a high school math teacher, and I had a math professor. I think it was a history of math or some kind of a class like that. And he, at the end of the year, at the end of the semester, he said, okay, write down on a piece of paper what grade you really, really, really deserved on in this and, of course, I thought long and hard. I said, I didn't really work that hard. And I, I put down a B- minus for myself, and I thought that was very accurate. Well, the grades were all posted, and there were 23 A's and one B. And that, that, that was me. So I went around to see the professor, and I remember, look, I'm the only B. He said, well, that's what you put down. I said, well, that's what I deserved. I don't think everybody else deserved <laughs> So you see where I'm going with this. So are we making our our sports into something like this? Now, I was a, supposed to be a math t- major. I, t- I took 50 hours of math. I couldn't work a calculus problem now to save my life. But the bottom line on the thing is I took 50 hours of math, differential equations, and uh, all these uh, classes that I labored through. And the point I was talking the other day, uh, to someone, he said, well, what did you get out of that? Well, I, I said, well, I learned how to never quit. That, that's the biggest thing. I My father's perseverance, but I learned how to never quit. I, I just decided, you know, that I was going to, I had to do my best, but math trained me to try to find a solution, 38 different ways, and I was a B student in math, but daggone it, I, I learned that through math. But it was ridiculous that I could be a math, taking all those tough math classes, and then end up, they just have a throwaway grade. And and do we have a throwaway sport? Okay, so I want to I want to get down down here and, and try to talk about some logical things that I've written down. And again, Coach Randy Blumendahl, if he comes on, that'd be great. I've invited him on, but. Uh, I've got to get on with it here so I can get the whole program in. What's wrong with hard work? Nature, nurture, and self. We have always been taught in every, all through, you know, as an educator, that's three things, ability, opportunities, you know, God-given ability, opportunities given by parents, coaches, and teachers, and then the work ethic that you have. Now, it's all three and I've discussed this before on the program, that nature, you can't put in what the good Lord left out, folks. You know, you can't make somebody taller or shorter or or more athletic or less athletic or, you know, you can't change, you can't change that package that a person, the DNA or the good Lord made. You cannot change it. Nature is providing that, you know, and, and that's that's okay. So we've always been taught, well, take that and make the best out of yourself. Be number one in the world at being yourself. So nurture is the second ingredient, of course, and that's your environment. Did you have good parenting? 
were both parents there and to help to help bring you up? Did you have a peer group that really supported and uh you know some people come through tough peer groups, but you know did you have a peer group where you excelled or you learned about hard work? Did you get to go to a school that really promoted hard work and and the right things? Did you get a good background? Did you have good mentors? Did you have good coaches? But all of those things come into the nurture part, and then there's the self part. I've even given a formula, as I told you, I've mentioned many times, that the formula I always would ask parents at coming up at the end of the camp sessions that I would do, coach, coach, tell me, does my son have enough to play college tennis? And I heard that, or my daughter have enough to play college tennis. I heard it so many times I came up with a formula, and I would say, well, sir or ma'am, with your uh, youngster, evaluate uh, nature, their uh, ability. And on a scale of 1 to 10, and they would say, uh, usually they'd say, okay, it's a 7, a pretty average, all right. What about opportunities? Uh, we've given him all these opportunities. He gets to go to all these workshops, these tennis things. We send him to the tournaments. We send her to here, training is this and this and this. Uh, but they didn't get to go down all these academies in Florida. They didn't get to train at the tennis academy. They didn't get to play the big night. I had, let's say, an 8. Okay, okay, fine, fine. Now, 7 plus 8 is 15. I would always tell the parents, and I tell my uh, players this as well, with those two ingredients, the third one is, by the time you get to be 18 or 19, is the only one that's movable. It's the only one that you can make a difference. That's nature, nurture, and then self. Huh. Ability, opportunity, and then desire of your heart. And I said, I'm not going to tell you what to tell me as far as your son or your daughter and how much effort they give. But I'm just telling you, 23 to 25 is the magic number. In other words, if they're 23, they have a chance of playing at a small school. That means 7 plus 8. If they're giving an 8, they got a chance at a small school. Now, 24 would have to be 8, 8, and a 9. That means there may be, have a maybe if they a 9 or a 10, they have a chance to play at a bigger college. But with the 10 effort, somewhere along the line, they need to be probably about an 8. It would make it easier to play at a major college. But we've got a lot of kids out there, 7, 7, 8, 6, 7, 8. At a 6, I talked this morning to one of the great, the great, one of the greatest collegiate players of all time. It was a young man named Mitchell Frank, and he was from up there in Maryland. And Mitchell was undefeated as a freshman at number one singles and won two of the three national collegiate singles titles. I think Jimmy Connors is the only other person. Mitchell, on a scale of one to ten, I asked him one time. He said, "Coach, I was about a six, I guess, a five or a six. You know." And I said, "Well." He said, I, really, I was a five, he said. He said, I had to work pretty hard. He said, what about your parents? He said, I had a ten. They gave me a ten opportunity. I got to go to this great training session uh, center and up in uh, College Park, Maryland, and and work like crazy. And he said, and uh, but he said, uh, and how much effort did Mitchell give? A ten, for sure. And that's a 25. 
But at 26, if, if you know, uh, he was 25 to 26, became a great, great collegiate player. I'd say he was a six with talent, and then 10 and a 10, absolutely. Some of the best parenting, one of the best parenting job I've ever seen. Plus his coach, Vin, gosh, what was Vin's last name? Vin, I'm sorry if you ever listen to this program. <laughs> so much respect for your work up there in, in Virginia area. But Vin really taught him just fundamentals, fundamentals, fundamentals. And, you know, and then he passed him off to the great college, the training program at a college park. You know, he wasn't, didn't try to just hold on to him. He passed him on. But anyhow, that's how that works. And uh, with your youngsters out. So, so you can see the only movable part of the puzzle for the youngster is the work ethic. So it's nature, nurture, self, the self part, the self part. So why are we we rewarding? Here's where we're going to, why do we reward dumb down for anything? Academics, why are we, we I, I don't want to get tangent here, but I go off on tangents. The other day on the radio I heard, you know, the Chinese are teaching their kids in sixth or seventh grade, different, you know, uh, highest forms of chemistry and science and things in third, fourth grade. And our kids, a lot of our eighth, ninth graders can't read. So what what's going on here? Do you think people can't do? You know, uh, to, I think it was Tony Dungy's book was the, one of the best out there. Read Tony Dungy's book. It was what a great book. But I think it said when people fail, it's either they can't do, they won't do, or they only do what is, they only do what they have to do, and that's pretty much right on. But the, but the point being is that we're why are we dumbing down our kids? Why aren't we stretching them? Why do you think we're building some type of self-esteem? Self-esteem is done before ages seven or eight. I, I believe psychologists will say this. By the way, nature nurture self. You know the the, the physicist or uh, the, what would you say the the um, people the geneticists would say it's all about the genes. It's you no know, it's it's. It's all about the nature. Then your sociologist would say, no, 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 it's all about surroundings. But the psychologist might say, no, it's about, it's all about self. Well, it's, it's a combination of all three. And I think you, don't go, you won't go wrong if you try to use that formula. So anyhow, uh, look, nurture nature self. But here's why we might be dumbing down. Maybe we're trying, we're so afraid of helping, hurting self-esteem. Again, self-esteem is done by age six, pretty much, by the, the, the love and the caring in the home and the child either feels secure or doesn't secure. And if you're a psychologist and you believe that's different, then holler at me. But I, what I believe is that I absolutely believe that confidence is built every day of your life. We have many, many people that have low self-esteem that are extremely confident, and that's where we're messing up. We can't do a lot about self-esteem after a certain point. You'll have great, great athletes say later that I worked so hard because I was very insecure, I was, thought I was going to fail. Then you have some people who have high self-esteem that never do the work, but, and, and they never make it either because they never develop the confidence. You develop the confidence through the hard work. So why are we, why are we dumbing down all of our, our youth you know, I, I think it is a lot in that we're trying to build self, self-esteem self instead of trying to build confidence. So the dumb down is really, you know, part of that feeling. It's about feelings. And, and 
gosh, I argue with people about this sometimes too, folks, but feelings you cannot control the feeling. You Can you control the feelings? Well, you can think the right things and do the right things, and that helps the feeling change. But you do not change feelings that come to you. They're like weather. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad. Most of the time they're in between. And it, But the bottom line on the thing, what you feel comes to you, and it's your emotions will come in a certain way in all kinds of packages. What you must do is use your head and think the right thing and do the right thing. And always project to the other person. Try to control what they see. You know, there's a lot... The other day I heard a great thing. It said uh, that that guy's, uh, his glass is always half full. And then I said, yeah, well, sometimes mine's half empty. I'm a little bit pessimistic. Optimist, it's half full. Sometimes when you're pessimistic, it's half empty. And then the guy said, yeah, the realist, said, the realist just says, hey, we need a little bit more water on there. So I, I thought that was a pretty good one. But bottom line, your feelings that are negative come there. Feelings that are good come there, the happiness. But we've got to set the thermostat. The thermostat we set, we don't allow the changing temperature. We should not allow the changing temperature to control our up and down swings. But the process and the product are huge, and we, I think that's what we're trying to do. Well, Coach Randy said a big thing to me. He said, Coach, what's happening is what these lead, these groups are trying to do is they're trying to promote promote uh, they're trying to promote events that are not competitive. They're trying to promote participatory events where people participate. Well, at rec events after time, there's a time for that, but it's not with competitive sports. And that's the biggest thing I, w I wanted to say. So that's a lot why the dumb down is happening. Our random results, uh, the random results and how that why they fail. Why are they failing? Well, you, you, random results are not going to train champions. You're always going to have your high achievers and your under lower achievers, but when someone runs to the front of the pack and you force them to slow down for the rest of the runners, what is the use in doing all the training that you need to do? If everyone is in a class and one person makes a 99 in an A and everyone else is making below an 80 or an 85, why would you ever ask a person making a 99 to slow down and say, well, you only get a B-minus grade and just like everyone else? Do you see the damage? We need competition in our society. We are and should be. The only reason we became great as a country is because we functioned around competition and capitalism. The, what is being pumped into our schools, what is being pumped into our sports, the randomness that is happening in big-time sports and folks, it's ridiculous. Uh, and I don't want to get too much on this, but I've noticed I, I grew up in Indiana playing basketball. I absolutely loved, loved, loved basketball. Knew everything about it. Uh, 
different offenses, different defenses. And basketball has been dumbed down with the three-point play. And I'll tell you why. The three-point play and a shot clock makes everything more random. As you saw in the NCAA tournament, a team could be up 11 with two minutes to go. And are you kidding me? They could still lose by five. I went to a high school basketball game recently, and in in four eight-minute quarters, four eight-minute quarters, that, I mean, that's only 32 minutes. 32 minutes, the score was 95 to 63. How do you score 160 points, so near 170 points, 168? How do you do that in 32 minutes other than no defense, random three-pointers, running up, up and down? There was It was ridiculous how... How diluted basketball has become. Basically, people only shoot threes or they bully their way through the middle and try to get a short shot. They've taken away zone defenses. It, uh, I think, uh, no, sorry, they've promoted zone defenses now, I believe, in the pros, where, where you don't even have to play defense, really good defense. You can hide a player with a zone defense. You don't have to play good. There were so many good players before that was done in the pros where you had to be able to play defense. And if you couldn't play defense, you couldn't play pro ball. By the way, if you couldn't play defense, you couldn't play high school ball at one time. Baseball, they're trying to speed it up. They say, oh, it's boring for the fans. To what fans? To what fans is boring? I think baseball baseball still got a tremendous following. If it's hurting, it's sure not hurting just because it takes too long. No, it's hurting more because they juggle the players around so much you can't ever follow players. And, you know, you don't even know who's on the roster from one year to the next because of the, the players jumping ship. You don't have that back when uh, you, would, you, would, you would know that, uh, you know, uh, the Braves had, you know, the San Francisco had Willie Mays and Braves had Hank Aaron and the Yankees had Mickey Mantle and Bobby Richardson and, Whitey Ford and, you know, golly, all, all of Yogi Berra and all of the greats. They were, they were Yankee. It's, it's really, really something the way that's jumped around. Now, I don't even go there with college with that transfer portal and things. What's going to happen is that you, it will be very hard for a fan to follow a team because you won't know who the players are. The guys, players will be in and out. And it's just not to speak of what it does to the team camaraderie, the locker room mentality and, and uh, teamwork. Uh, you know, it, it just won't work. So I blame our – I'm going to go here as I wrap up. I blame our administrators for not seeing the bigger picture in the long-term part of learning. I blame them, whoever is in charge. I blame you for letting marketeers run things where it's promoted for everything from how many shoes you can sell to to uh, all of these things. And I, I realize that's good for the players and all that. But really, why are we promoting randomness? Who does ran, why does random results help? It makes things 
very uh you know very up in the air and, and when you randomize things i'm going to put it this way in a positive sense when you randomize things you take away from any of the work ethic that people need to have it comes back to nature and early nurturing but self it takes away from the work ethic that one thing that people need to be able to do is develop a good work ethic and they they don't develop it. They don't develop. They never get to know Percy. They never get to know what it means to hang in through the thick and the thin and work hard for the love of a sport. How are they supposed to love a sport? Which sport are they supposed to love in tennis now, folks? Oh, that no ad stuff. Oh, oh, wait a minute. No, 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 wait a minute. I want a tournament. And I it, it, wait a minute. I like four game sets. Oh no 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 no. We're going to play tie the not so super tiebreaker, where if you win the first set, you could tank the second set and then just win a tiebreaker. Oh, the subtle thing, the other subtle things about the tiebreaker with third set that's so disgusting, is is that you could win the fir- lose the first set and now you get to say, well, you know, I don't have to win two more sets. Don't you think that allows that person who has not trained the ability to hang in there a little bit longer? Randomization is what they're after, I believe, folks. Randomization. And uh, But also, here's the thing about the shortened sets and the, and the abbreviation, the tiebreakers for the third. When you win a tiebreaker for the third, it's really, really not a win, and it's not a rite of passage. You can say it's a win, but it's, it's a tie. It's a tie. It really is not a win. The person who wins does not have a rite of passage like you would if you won 11-9 in the third set or you know 7-6 in the third or something in a long three-and-a-half-hour match. That's where kids gain the confidence, where they get over the hump and say, I can do this, I can do this. The other thing is when people lose that tiebreaker for the third, it doesn't hurt enough. Now listen, pain is important. Pain moves the work ethic. When you hurt enough and you don't want it to happen again, but you want to stay in a sport, you decide that, hey, I want to work a little bit harder. But when you lose a tiebreaker for the third, you just say, ah, I lost the tiebreaker. I was pretty even with the guy, the, the girl. I just I just uh, lost the tiebreaker. I had bad luck. Got that net cord. and it, It's just awful. If you're, a, if you're an administrator out there, I want you to do a double take and really think about what we're doing to our kids with the dumb down. In our academics, we're hurting our kids. In tennis, in all sports, we're hurting our kids when we don't teach them perseverance through their sport. Why would they want to go out and work extra if it's going to come down to a crapshoot, flipping a coin, or a randomized diminished sport that that we are are building here all that it takes for evil to prosper is for good people to do nothing i'm calling upon you at the tournaments go see your tournament director and say this isn't right i want my child to learn i've got more skin in the game now than ever my my daughter plays high school tennis and i do not want her playing the crap that they put out there with no ad scoring and then call it a tennis match. I want her to learn how to work hard and to suffer through the losses, to feel great about the wins, which you should. And I don't want her to have random results where, hey, you know, Papa, it really didn't matter whether I worked hard or not today because I still won and I didn't work hard. 
you know, and and it, it it's just disgusting. So anyhow, folks, I'm back, and I want to continue to do programs each week, and I wanted to thank you for listening, and uh, I'll be on the same time next week. I want you to want you to remember though, winning or losing, winning and losing. You're always in the process of winning or losing. And I wanted to say this. I'm going to quote the great Tim Wilkerson to think about this one. Tim Wilkerson was a great player, Dr. Dirt. He said one time to me, he said, kids play for two reasons. Tournaments, excuse me, they play for rivalries and tournaments of heritage. They do not play for points. I want you to think how much damage this point system has done. So the last quote I always read, folks, is that remember that you're always in the process of winning or losing and it has very little to do with that win or that loss. It's what lasts with you the rest of your life as far as your work ethic. Let's get all of our kids working hard again and loving this sport, and do not make it a throwaway sport. God bless you all. We'll see you next time. This is Coach Chuck Come